As we today finish up the book of Jonah, let me ask you to turn to Matthew chapter 12. And somehow this is, uh, this is uh, appropriate as uh, we think next week about Jesus' resurrection. We see a scene in Luke 24 where after he is raised from the dead, uh, two disciples are, are walking along. Uh, they're discouraged. Of, they don't know of uh, the resurrection Jesus walks with them. They don't know him at first. And then uh, they recognize him. And it says that he began with Moses and all the prophets and spoke of himself, basically, to them. And so that's really what we are, are seeing today. If, uh, if you're visiting with us, uh, we have been in the book of Jonah. It took us... Uh, seven sermons plus an extra one on one of the psalms in there uh, to go through uh, that brief book, but we haven't really finished the series yet. Uh, I've called the series Grappling with Grace because of how Jonah really struggled with, uh, with the grace, not that was shown to him, but grace that was shown to others. He had real difficulty with that. So why, why go to Matthew? Well, because some eight centuries after Jonah's day, a Jewish preacher would grow up just a few miles from where Jonah did. Nazareth was only a few miles south of Jonah's hometown. And in Jesus' ministry... He uses Jonah, affirming the account of Jonah, speaking of it as being true, but he uses that in answering uh, some objections of scribes and Pharisees. So let's take a look in uh, Matthew chapter 12. We're going to begin with verse 38. Then some of the scribes and Pharisees answered him, saying, Teacher, we wish to see a sign from you. But he answered them, An evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And behold, something greater than Jonah is here. This is the word of the Lord. Be to God. Let's bow together. Lord, we now ask that you would help us really to focus in these next few moments, to focus upon your word. We pray that your precious Holy Spirit would move among us 
would enable us to hear what you have for us today. There's no one in this room that is here by accident. And you have preserved this portion of your word knowing full well that today we would hear it. And so, Lord, what is it you want to say to us? Will you cause your spirit to speak to our hearts and minds? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So they call for a sign. Look at what it says. Some of the scribes and Pharisees answered him saying, Teacher, we wish to see a sign from you. He answered them, An evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign But no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. Now, during Jesus' ministry, he didn't mind giving signs. Every sign that he gave was for a purpose. It was never just to to wow the crowd. It was uh, never to impress anyone. Whenever he did signs and wonders, when he did miracles, he did them to affirm uh, the truth of his preaching. And that's what we see basically all the way through the Scripture. We, we don't see uh, miracles and, and signs taking place at an even pace all the way through Scripture. What you see is when new revelation is given whether it's through Moses or Elijah or the prophets uh, or Jesus or the apostles, then there becomes a cluster of miracles that take place. And, And those take place to affirm the truth of the Word of God. And so Jesus had no problem with signs. He fed the multitudes healed the sick, cast out demons, even raised the dead. So why why did he react this way at this time to these particular people? Well, let's look at the context of this passage since we're jumping in right here kind of in the middle of Matthew. Earlier in chapter 12, we see uh, a a demon-oppressed man who was blind and mute and was brought to him, and he healed him. And then there's this reaction in verse 24 earlier. But when the Pharisees heard it, they said, it is only by Beelzebul, the prince of demons, that's Satan, that this man casts out demons. And then catch the next phrase. Knowing their thought, he said to them, and then he gave his answer. So do you see why, why Jesus, when uh, they, they called for a sign, do you see why he reacted in the way that he did? He, he knew their hearts. These were people that had just seen a sign. They were the same people that 
he would, he would show a sign and they would say, that's not good enough. That doesn't count. That doesn't work. And so here he heals again, and they attribute that sign to the evil one. And so when they ask for another sign, he says, uh, no, that's not going to happen. Well, there will be one sign, and it's going to be the sign of Jonah. And then he explains that. He knew their thoughts. So what was that sign of Jonah that he was willing to show to them? Down in verse 40. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish. By the way, he's speaking of this as as truth. He said, you know, this would have been the perfect place to say, you know, that Old Testament parable or that Old Testament fable or something like that. He's not talking about it that way. He's saying this is history. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. So what was the sign of Jonah? He was talking about his death and his resurrection. Now, Let's, for a few minutes, compare and contrast Jonah's experience with Jesus' experience. There are some similarities. In fact, if you see uh, the next phrase, again, verse 40, for just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Now, when we went through Jonah, we talked about the whole idea of uh, three days and three nights. Um, some, the way we talk, you would think that would be, you know, all of the, the sunlight and then all through the night. But that wasn't how uh, the Jews used that kind of a phrase or the Romans or people in Jesus' day. When we went through uh, the book of Jonah, we talked about this. What this well, that basically, you could have any part of the three days and you would use the phrase three days and three nights. In other words, you could have part of one day and then all of the second day and then any part, and it could be the whole day, but any part of the third day. And the phrase to describe that would have been three days and three nights. Now, why did they do that? We don't know. They just did it. They, that's just how they talked back then. But we, you might as well just accept it because they understood that that's really what that meant. So um, some could say that that's kind of the end of the similarities. So let's talk about some of the differences or, or at least where they aren't exactly alike. So we have, first of all, him talking about Jonah being in the belly of the great fish for three days, and that he was going to be in the earth, he himself, for that length of time. In terms of the the differences, verse 41, Jesus indicated there's a difference, because he said, something greater than Jonah is here. 
So he wasn't saying exactly what Jonah went through, exactly who he is. He said, no, this was an, that, that, was an, that was an introduction way back there in the Old Testament. But something greater is here. Now, how so? Well, let's take a look at how he himself is greater than Jonah. Let's think uh, how they differ. Remember, Jonah sought to do his own will, didn't he? Remember, he's, he's given a calling, and immediately he ran as hard as he could what he thought was the other direction. So he wanted to take care of himself, his own will, his own comfort. That's what Jonah wanted to do. And then we have Jesus, who absolutely, always, at all times, fully did the will of the Father. So we have Jonah running as hard as he can away from the Father, and we have Jesus resolutely walking step by step toward the cross, which was the will of the Father even when he got to the garden, he said, not as I will, but as you will. And Jonah would have said just the opposite, wouldn't he? Jonah would have said, not as you will, but as I will. Jesus is greater than Jonah. And then we see Jonah showing no compassion for the Ninevites, only disdain for them. Remember, he was called to go and to uh, give them good news. And he couldn't stand them. He would rather die than to go and, and to do that. And ultimately, even when he did finally follow through, because uh, in, in all probability he saw he had no choice, God wasn't going to give up on him and and. and even use somebody else. But even at that point, all he could think about is maybe they won't repent, or even if they do repent, maybe God will still destroy them. And so he sat on the hill watching and hoping that that would be the case. Compare that to Jesus in Luke 13, 34. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. The city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you were not willing. You hear the compassion? Matthew 9, 36. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them <coughs> because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. You compare that to Jonah, who, who had no compassion for those who were in such great need. The same kind of people. Jesus is greater than Jonah. And then thirdly, Jonah went into the belly of the whale basically because he deserved it. 
He had rebelled against God. He had run from God. And so when he went to that fate, he was there only for one reason, and that was because he deserved it. When it comes to Jesus, when he died, he was put in the grave even though he did not deserve to die. We deserved it. Jesus is greater than Jonah. And then we see that uh, further Jonah didn't die. Even though he deserved it, even though he asked for it several times out of his despair, we don't have any record. He died at some point. But in the account, and the account they would have known of, we don't have a record of him dying. But Jesus literally, not figuratively, Jesus literally died on the cross. His heart stopped. Roman soldiers who were experts at the skill of of killing and executing and making sure that people were dead. They knew he had died. And then he was put in a tomb and guarded by them. And then we see Jonah felt abandoned by God. See, you see that in his prayer Uh, when he was in the belly of the great fish. Here's what he said, quoting Scripture, For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. Then I said, I'm driven away from your sight. Jonah knew full well he was thrown into the sea, and he was in the belly of the great fish for one reason and one reason only. It was because of God and his response to God. And yet we see something different with Jesus. Jonah felt abandoned by God. But Jesus, in a very real sense, experienced abandonment. Theologically, and I want to put this right up front, because sometimes we hear sermons about how the, you know, the Father and the Son are ripped apart and things like that. That, that can't happen. Theologically, the Trinity is always, there's a union within that Trinity that cannot and will not be broken. We start with that. There's no separation. So how was Jesus feeling abandonment then? Well, let me give you three ways that he experienced abandonment. First of all, when he was crucified, the physical pain that he experienced on that cross, the shame that the God of the universe who condescended to leave all of the glory of heaven in the incarnation and take on flesh and go through 
this life in a humble estate, putting himself, he, he was the great lawgiver, he put himself under that law, obeyed it at every point, was arrested when he had done nothing wrong, was crucified, was put into the grave. There was a real sense of him experiencing what it's like to be abandoned. Even the sun hid, and there was only darkness during that time. But secondly, when he was crucified, he experienced abandonment by experiencing the wrath of the holy God unleashed on him. Jonah felt nothing of that. But Jesus did. One commentator put it this way. It's as if he were in the arena like the martyrs of old watching the animals being released one by one to tear at his flesh and crush his bones. And throughout the process, he saw his heavenly Father releasing the wrath against him. All the storehouse of wrath. He experienced the judgment of God upon him on the cross. And then thirdly, right along with that, when he was on the cross, Jesus experienced abandonment because he experienced all the pains and all the horrors of hell for all of his people for all time. That's what he experienced on the cross. He felt a forsakenness that no one could ever bear. And only he could handle it because he was the perfect one that did not deserve it. Jesus experienced an abandonment from the Father so that Jonah didn't have to be abandoned. And neither do we. The other way that Jesus is greater than Jonah is that he wasn't spit out on dry ground. He was dead and he got up and walked out of the tomb. He was literally resurrected, not just temporally rescued. In other words, Jonah never, didn't die he was spit up on dry ground. At some point, he would die later on. But he was rescued for the moment. When Jesus walked out of the tomb, the victor over death, and that's what we're going to be talking about next week, when he walked out of that tomb, never to die again. Jesus was greater than Jonah. Now, that's the nature of the cross. But he gives an application here. Look at, look at what he says about the Ninevites. The men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And behold, something greater than Jonah is here. 
So what was that about? Well, a couple of things here. The point of Jonah's ministry was uh, God showing his great compassion, not just upon his people, not just upon the Israelites, not just upon the weak, but also upon those that the world saw as strong. And so, he showed his, uh, his compassion even on the Gentile world, the rest of the world. When Jesus was resurrected, his message to his disciples at that point was, okay, now go to the rest of the world. Go out there. And they were to go not just to their own people, but to the Gentiles throughout the world and share the good news. God's compassion is extended to all who believe. Now, how is it extended? Well, that's another way Jonah's ministry did parallel Jesus' ministry. Jonah said that uh, (coughs) what's going to happen here to you Ninevites is you're going to be destroyed. There was an implied promise in there, an implied condition that we talked about, and that is unless you repent. But what happened? They repented. And that's the message. And Jesus is showing these scribes and these Pharisees, ones that were so evil that they just attributed his work, a work from the Father in healing this one, they just attributed that to Satan. And he's saying, look, you need to repent as well. Speaking to the religious of the day, the scribes and Pharisees, speaking to those who felt like they kept the law at every point. He said, you need to repent. And if you don't, you will have that fate that was promised to the Ninevites. During the series on Jonah, I've heard from a number of you, and I I really appreciate this, people saying something like this. You know, I see a lot of Jonah in myself. I haven't had anyone say, I see a lot of Jonah in my husband, but which is good. Don't share that with me if you feel that. But I've had people very honestly say, you know, I see a lot of Jonah in myself, and that's an honest statement. And that should lead us to the truth of the message of Jonah and Jesus, and the answer is repentance. When we see, you know, glimpses of Jonah in ourselves, a lack of compassion, a desire to run from God, to question his ways, that's where repentance comes in. And so it's the call to us to see the compassion of the Father and to repent, not out of fear, but because of his kindness towards us. I've called this series uh, Grappling with Grace because of how Jonah struggled. And last week we sang Amazing Grace, a perfect 
song for the end of Jonah. Amazing Grace was written by the English pastor John Newton. Newton, who had been a slave trader, a cruel slave trader, before his conversion. I love the statement of John Newton pertaining to the, what he calls the three wonders which I expect to have when I get to heaven. First, he says, will be to meet some I had not thought I, to, I would see there. That's the first wonder. And the second is to miss some I had thought to meet there. And the third, he said, and the greatest wonder of all is to find myself there. He, he grasped how amazing that grace is towards us. And that's the amazing grace that saved those like Newton and like the Ninevites and like Jonah and is available for you and me as well. Let's pray together. Lord, any honest person is going to see, see some Jonah in themselves. Especially when we look at Jesus. And some of us see more of Jonah than we do of Jesus in ourselves. And so, Lord, will you give us hearts of repentance that turn from our sin toward you, whereby the power of your Spirit we will not return to that sin. Lord, thank you for your word. And we do pray that you would enable us even today to desire a renewed obedience to you. We pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen.